Blog Talk Radio. Hi, and welcome to The Art of Film Funding. I'm your co-host, Claire Papan, along with Carol Dean, author of the best-selling book, The Art of Film Funding. Carol is also the founder and president of From the Heart Productions and the host of this show. Michael Lucker is a writer, director, and producer with 20 years' experience creating film and television. He worked for ABC, NBC, and CBS before taking a job as assistant to Steven Spielberg at Amblin Entertainment on feature films, and then he decided to embark on a career as a screenwriter, helping pen screenplays for Paramount, Disney, DreamWorks, Fox, and Universal. He went on to launch his own production company, Lucky Dog Filmworks, which now serves as his home for creating film, television, and commercial content. In television, Michael has worked with Animal Planet, Cartoon Network, Travel Channel, History, Discovery, NBC, TBS, TNT, TLC, OWN, DIY, MSNBC, and A&E. A renowned instructor in screenwriting, his first book on screenwriting, Crash, Boom, Bang, How to Write Action Films, comes out June 1st. So it looks like we are on the eve of his nationwide uh, release of his book from the publisher, Michael Weesey, at mwp.com. And Carol, I understand Michael Weesey is your publisher too, right? Yes, Claire. Michael is brilliant. He brings all of these best books in the film industry to filmmakers, and we really thank you for joining us, Michael. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Your book is written to educate and inspire, and believe me, uh, this inspiration is given with wit and humor, starting with the introduction. So I'm really inspired by Crash, Boom, Bang, and How to Write Action Movies. So today, what I want to do is share some of the chapters with our audience so they, too, can enjoy your brilliant materials and your personal advice. Your stories are terrific, your personal stories in the book. So let's start with how to use the book so people can really understand the purpose. Sure. Well, thanks for all those kind remarks. Um, The book was written really with uh, aspiring screenwriters in mind, student screenwriters in mind, um, screenwriting professors in mind, um, and the uh, the layman screenwriter who's out writing in Peoria, uh, just trying to figure out how to break into the business. And it's crafted in such a way that it takes uh, all the readers from coming up with the idea um, and taking it all the way through completion and ultimately uh, having the drive and direction to get it out there in the world. And as to uh, the personal stories, I start each chapter with a little anecdote um, of uh, moments in my screenwriting uh, experience that have yet either been flattering or not so flattering, but give a little window into what it's like to be in the rooms, be on the set, and be uh, on the laptop trying to bring your stories to life. 
Exactly. That's what we love to hear. Somebody who's really been there and done that. It's so exciting. But And the best part, I think, is the homework. At the end of the chapter, you tell us to see uh, films and instruct us on things to look for. It's Right? Yeah, I uh, like to give uh, the readers sort of tools to start the process and uh, not only lay out the order of the process, but give little assignments along the way. So should they choose, they can um, uh, start really at the end of Chapter 1 with coming up with uh, the great concept, Chapter 2 going into figuring out you know, the character uh, that's going to go in that concept, and 3 beginning you know, plotting out that story into hopefully a screenplay that will be really strong. And by the end of the book, ideally – They've written a good chunk of it and are then uh, you know, prepared to go on um, and finish it on their own. Exactly. Well, you won me over in the very beginning when you said if you really want to be a good writer, give up <laughs> sugar, um, caffeine, which I've done, not easy, both of those, and scotch. Not quite there yet, but I'm working on <laughs> it. It's funny, I see. Think... Yes? I was say it's funny because I think you know one of the biggest challenges we hear from writers is talking about writer's block, and oftentimes they go around self-medicating on you know uh, coffee and booze and sugar and Splenda and putting all these things into their bodies, which might affect their uh, mental clarity. So I just say, why not start there, kind of clear the mind, and then you can take on any additional challenges after that. Absolutely right. And the next thing you say is that um, if you have a problem or you're looking for a good idea, ask and then do be still, be quiet, put yourself, walk, take a long walk, put yourself away from everything and listen. And this is what we don't do as a people. We're always saying, oh, help me do this or that to the universal mind. But how many of us sit in the quiet still and listen for our responses? Right. Uh, I think we're constantly bombarded today by sights and sounds coming from iPhones, iPads, televisions, video everywhere, music, and there's no time really for the universe, spirit, imagination, whatever you want to call it, to do its work and feed you. And so I think it is imperative to quiet the mind and give it that space. If you meditate, fantastic. At least you know you'll get 20 minutes of being fed. But if you do <laughs> take time to um, – Step away from the world and commune with nature and uh, just turn everything off. I, I think you'll be surprised with the ideas that come to you. Totally agree. Totally. Uh, that's why I live up here uh, near the beach in Oxnard where it's peaceful and quiet. There's a lot of strawberry fields around me still, uh, farmers uh, out there, and it, it's just as quiet uh, spot in nature that is really conducive to writing and um, and receiving because I think writing is receiving it's opening to for new ideas and spirit to come to you with all kinds of stuff I you totally agree, agree. I, um, yeah I think that uh, learning the craft is essential um, and understanding how to do the work but once you've done that 
I do think there is something to sort of opening up and, and, and being fed, you know, from, you know, the universal consciousness, your own imagination or um, remembrances of experiences that you had in your youth. Exactly. For a writer, all those experiences that you've had in your lifetime can come into play uh, because I, I think sometimes life is funnier than anything else. You can take stories right out of your own life or other people's lives. Uh, no question. I think Quentin Tarantino is probably the most famous for taking whatever happened to him that day at the Burger King or the laundromat <laughs> or the car wash and instilling that in his in his writing in ways that uh, we never expect. And it also makes it very approachable. So. Yes, it does. It does. Well, now your book says that action movies are the hottest and actually the most revenue-generating genre. This is good news. So finding that idea is paramount to your success, and you suggest that writers uh, be quiet and listen, like we talked about, and uh, then you go on to talk about write what you know and write what you want to know. So elaborate on this. Sure. Uh, Writing what you know is an age-old adage of writers, um, for writers, talking about bringing your own experience, your own insight, your own uh, hard times, good times to the page, which, of course, will allow you to write with greater authenticity. But then there's a space, I think, that will drive us to – to hit the laptop and to completion and writing what we want to know. Um, if you're fascinated with past lives, if you're interested in, you know, uh, NASA, if you are curious about, you know, the FBI, why not write in a world that, um, that, uh, that kind of drives you to learn. And um, ultimately by the time you finish researching, by the time you finish writing a project, you probably will have learned uh, a lot and made yourself um, a more well-rounded individual. Absolutely right. Good, good thinking. Now, uh, choose your settings and danger zones are mentioned in the first chapter. So share some of this with us. Sure. Um, I think in great movies, especially great action movies, the setting uh, can often be almost a character unto itself. I think of Top Gun as, a, as sort of a quintessential example where it took us into the world of, you know, uh, naval pilots, and we got to see what it was like uh, in the training and also in the air and in the field and on the tarmac. And it was so exciting for us at the time to go into that place. Certainly more recently, Avatar has done that and taken us to an extraordinary place as well. So I think the first thing to think about with setting is, um, is it organic to story? Two, does it take us um, somewhere different? And three, does it allow um, uh, the hero really the opportunity to be tested, not only physically by the barriers and boundaries of that world, um, but also perhaps uh, morally and psychologically? Mm-hmm. And all of these things are very important for character um, improvement or for, uh, for character what expose yeah i think i think the whole reason we tell stories is uh to see a hero grow and change mm-hmm. and learn and we identify that 
that we identify with that because that's kind of why we're here put on the planet is to learn and change and grow. And so if you're putting them in, in a space and a place where uh, they're tested, um, we're living vicariously through them and ultimately uh, reap reward in seeing them overcome challenges that we wish we could as well. I know. I, I like movies like that because you always feel empowered when you leave. You're you're up. You're high. Uh, it's as if you have lived through that with them, and you you too can face and overcome challenges. I, I think in the good movies uh, you do. <laughs> I think there's movies where you may leave the theater and you may feel defeated, and I don't like those movies quite as much, and frankly, much of the movie-going audience doesn't, which is why we keep coming back to happy endings, Um, but I always know that when I leave the theater inspired, motivated, more confident, uh, more self-aware, more empowered, I feel better and I'm happier to have seen that movie um, than had I not. And for the homework in Chapter 1, you chose Die Hard, which I really love that. I can still see him climbing through those uh, those ceiling, hanging ceiling uh, tunnels, complaining, come out to, to L.A. and have a <laughs> lovely weekend. You know, it's just the dialogue in that film stayed with me for a long time. It was great. But why did you choose that for the homework? Right. Well, at the end of each chapter, I give um, one movie that I think the reader can uh, uh, read the screenplay of and watch the movie of and have um, great application from that movie toward the content in the chapter. So I think that's helpful. The reason I chose Die Hard specifically under Chapter 1, which is about concept, is it's such the quintessential um, high-concept, single logline idea that when it came out, it rocked the box office. It was heralded by critics, and ultimately, it spawned, you know, a legacy of sequels, not only under its own name, but uh, variations of it uh, in different forms. And it's all because the idea is so strong. You put one hero in a confined space for a confined amount of time, and trying to get someone he cares out of that situation. Uh, by the end, and he's up against or she's up against uh, clear opponents that they have to defeat. And ultimately, by the end, they get out, and ideally the hero learns something as well. Exactly. Yes, that's true. It's like a a one-location movie, and those can be very uh, fulfilling and good for writers and good for production. There's many good reasons for it, right? Sure, sure. Well, okay, let's go. I loved you talking about your meeting with Katzenberg. Um, So tell us what you learned from him, one of the many things, I'm sure. Sure. Uh, I uh, was fortunate to work with um, uh, uh, Jeffrey Katzenberg on a movie for DreamWorks, an animated movie called Spirit, Stallion of the Cimarron. And um, we also met with him on other projects as well. Uh, and I think the, the one takeaway that stood out to me most was that um, stories, even action movies, aren't full of action all the time. Um, movies are like roller coasters. There's the moment of uh, 
of thrills and chills coming screaming down the slope. But there's also those moments of building anticipation and moments of rest. And the juxtaposition of all these different emotional levels is really what uh, makes the audience feel like they too have been on a ride. And if it's exciting all the time or if it's reflecting all the time or if it's building all the time or for too long for that matter, then uh, the audience will uh, get bored, quite frankly. It's why sometimes you'll watch an incredibly dynamic and exciting action sequence, but if it goes on and on and on and on and on, you're like, yeah, let's get on with it, because ultimately plot only moves forward as the result of action. So not until we find out who won the chase um, do we get story moving um, ahead. Exactly. Well, in Chapter 2, and you titled that quite well, it's called Badass Hero. I really love that. <laughs> Tell us what you learned from working with Spielberg about the hero's journey and knowing your hero better than yourself. Sure. Well, I was fortunate to work with Stephen just as his production assistant on a number of movies. I came on um, on Indiana Jones, The Last Crusade, in post-production and worked with him in production on Always, um, uh, Back to the Future 2 and 3, Arachnophobia, um, Joe vs. the Volcano, uh, Dad, and on prep of um, Jurassic Park. So I got the opportunity to learn from what I feel is one of the greatest minds in the history of cinema. And um, I think with respect to heroes, um, it was really to make the hero someone is relatable to everyone. And I think Stephen has been... Um, successful at that in so many ways and approaching it from so many different angles. Uh, I think some heroes in movies are not that relatable. They may not have the flaws and foibles and weaknesses that that we all do, but when they are um, someone that we can empathize with, sympathize with, then I think we're more inclined to root and cheer for them and um, invest in their success. Exactly. Well, he was the teacher uh, of, of ancient history or archaeology, and uh, and he really looked like that. He looked like he cared about other people, and uh, and that he really had a heart. He was a, a we felt or I felt he was a kind, loving guy who got into this uh, sort of against his will, and then he couldn't get out of it. He had to stay with it because he knew the value of it, and and. Uh, but he was likable quite a bit, and I, I totally agree with you. When I start a film, if in 10 minutes I don't like the guy I'm to, or gal, I'm just not going to stay with the film because it, it doesn't mean that much to me. I want someone that I really like. I see their potential, and I'm willing to watch them make a change. That's it. I think it's essential. And the, the trick is, just making you sure, making sure that you grab some of the audience out there, and, uh, and and getting them to align with that hero. I think the weakness and the problem often is that uh, writers, or in fact, oftentimes studios, are trying to get everybody. And when you do that, it can often water down a hero, and it won't have sort of the the resonance and resilience that. Um, you're hoping for. I think the trick is, you know, finding different characters within a movie that different people can relate to. And I think that's one of the reasons the original Independence Day 
was so successful when it came out and broke all kinds of box office records was that there were so many different kinds of characters that there was something in there for the kids, for the parents, and for the grandparents. For black and white, gay and straight, um, everybody under the sun had someone in that movie they could cheer for. Exactly. Yes, that's now tell us about your screenwriting school. Um you ha it's called screenwritingschool.com and several times a year you ha- you give uh classes over weekends. Tell us. Sure, well, I've been fortunate um uh since I moved back to Atlanta to lecture at Emory University and also to teach at University of North Georgia. Um but I kept getting uh asked to teach people that weren't uh college age and weren't in universities. And so I developed my own little weekend workshops, um, which I call Screenwriter School, and uh, they've been hosted by Emory University and co-sponsored by the Atlanta Film Society. Uh, I hold them a few times a year in Atlanta, and it's basically all day Saturday and all day Sunday teaching everybody that makes it into the room um, how to uh, go from concept to completion. So it's usually about two seven-hour days. Uh, We start at 10 a.m., we go to 5 p.m., we stop for lunch, we go to lunch together. And by the end of the the weekend, uh, most people don't want to leave. They've not only um, uh, enjoyed sort of the energy in the room of learning something that um, they feel like they can take with them and empowers them to tell their own story, but they've also – uh, formed relationships with other creatives that they feel like they can align themselves with going forward to either uh, co-conspire or just to enlist um, a counsel on and feedback on their own material. Oh, that's so important. That's really good. So it's screenwriterschool.com, and they reach you uh, at michael at screenwriterschool.com, right? That's right. That's right. Anybody can reach me there if they wish. Okay. Well, let's get back to the book. Uh, This is so exciting for me. I really learned a lot reading this book, uh, and I know others will too. Crash, Boom, Bang, How to Write Action Movies. So next is Desperate Heroes. Why do we love Desperate Heroes? Because I loved loved that whole series about the one-armed man. So when Tommy Lee Jones Uh did that film – it was so exciting for me. And, and see, both of those were likable characters. You like both of them. Right. I think that's a great movie, uh, The Fugitive. Um, the and Fugitive, I think the right. fact that you had Harrison Ford and Tommy Lee Jones as the you know primary um, protagonist and antagonist going up against one another, and they were so likable, um, made uh, the movie so powerful. I think it's a good example also as to um, why Harrison Ford in that movie um, uh, stands out as a desperate hero. He has been um, uh, incriminated and sentenced for a crime that he did not commit, the murder of his own wife. And he is not only hell-bent on um, uh, sort of gaining – uh, innocence, improving his innocence, but also in taking down um, the true murderer and making him uh, suffer the consequences for his actions. And hopefully in some small way, you know, uh, that would be a step in his own healing. I think heroes that are not desperate to achieve their goal are kind of like in it 50%. 
And I think it's a problem with a lot of stories. If we don't really care about the guy getting the girl or getting the gold or getting the diamond or getting off the island or getting back home, then we're not that – if he's not that invested or she's not that invested, we're not going to be that invested. So when heroes like Harrison Ford in that movie are so desperate to succeed, um, we are pulled into their plight and we empathize with them uh, fulfilling uh, their mission. Well, when he jumped out, uh, there were he was in like a tunnel, and the water was running out, and it was it looked like a hundred foot drop down to a river, and he jumped out. When he jumped out, we all thought, "Oh my God, is he?" He's, he I think he even said that uh, it, he might die, but he but he was innocent. And he was going to prove it, or he or he would be dead either way. So he jumped out, and I think that was the crisis point for Tommy Lee Jones, thinking, "Well, maybe he is innocent." I think it's a great moment in not only that movie, but in all movies. And I think it's a great um, example to pull up because the state that Harrison Ford's character is in right there, he's like, I'm either going to escape and I'll be able to continue my quest to find the the one-armed man, or um, I'm going to die. And frankly, I don't have much to live for. So that is an example, I think, of showing how desperate a hero is. But I think one of the best moments in the movie comes just prior to that when Harrison Ford says to Tom Lee Jones, I didn't kill my wife. So he's clarifying his stance. But what makes it great is what Tom Lee Jones says. He goes, I don't care. And I love that because he's just doing his job, and he's good at his job. And that's and it's also a clear definition of his goal, of his mission. And it also sets him up a bit for his transformation to come at the end of the movie when we realize that he does care. Yes. He finally realizes that there's a person involved, a real a person's life is involved, and he uh and if this person is innocent, then what can he do to help prove that? And he makes the change, both of them make changes. I think that's so exactly. great. Well, I love Chapter 3, Twisty, Turny Plots. And um, so can you share some of the tips in that chapter and also the homework, please? Sure. Um, well, I think a lot of writers make the mistake of trying to come up with cool twists in their story. And they get stuck, um, twisted up in all those twists. Um, Rather than coming up with the big story overall, focusing on the hero and their goal and letting those twists come out more organically. So in order to help with that, I break down sort of uh, the three-act structure to make it clear for writers, aspiring writers, and professional writers when and where those transitions happen between Act 1 and Act 2 and Act 3, and how to um, push your story forward with a clear inciting incident, and how to build towards uh, uh, a a resounding climax at the end, and how to give a fulfilling um, uh, thematic end to the story. Um, And also, I really encourage everyone who reads the book, and also all of my students, to make sure that they lay out a very clear outline of their entire story before they set out on writing page one. We all want to get into writing the pages. We want to write the description. We want to write the dialogue. 
and I see many writers uh, go off into that world, especially if they've got some, you know, writing, novelly, prosy chops. That's what uh, is their bread and butter, so that's what they lean on, and that's what they want to do. But if you get into the first act with the second act, and you're just writing pretty pictures in scenes that you may not even need because you didn't plot out your story in depth prior to departure, it's going to make for a rocky trip. Absolutely. Right. This is very important. And knowing where you're going when you start out. Right. Well, Chapter 4, can you share some of the ways to get lean, mean scenes? Because I like that. <laughs> some. Sometimes I find uh, with Tarantino, actually, that I'm holding my breath through a whole scene because it's so he, it's so tense. He creates so much tension in them. Yeah, he's he's a master of building uh, powerful scenes um, and also making you sit um, in them when there is danger under the table or yeah. on top of the table or behind <laughs> the table. Um, but one of the things I think that enables him to do that with such success and such grace is that he has, you know, such a clear idea of what makes great scenes work. Um, and that is having clarity to a goal of the hero or of someone else in the scene and breaking it down into essentially beginning, middles, and ends just as we do with story. And if you write your scenes looking at them that way and knowing you have something to introduce, something to complicate, and something to resolve in your scene, that gives you a little structure to your scene, which is more than most people go into them with. The other thing that helps expedite um, the scene and, and, and push it forward well is um, coming into scenes as late as possible and leaving them as early as possible. You don't have to get caught up in details up front. You can kind of cut to the chase um, and make sure there's tension and conflict in every scene. I think Robert McKee says if you have no tension, no conflict in a scene, you don't need the scene, and I completely agree. I think ultimately wow. the, 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 the last thing to add to that is that when you have uh, great movies are composed of great scenes, one after another, after another, after another. So if you're finding that one scene in your movie or two scenes or three scenes in your script are not working, fix it or lose it. Fix it or lose it. Wow. That's lethal. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's important to be pointed when dealing with college students, and uh, so that's a lot of my proving ground. So. <laughs> well, do you ever read scripts for people and give them feedback? I do, um, uh, for a fee, of course, um, and they course. can write to me, uh, and I'm, I'm open to that. Um, I do it uh, when I have time. Fortunately, I've been very busy writing back-to-back uh, -back movies and teaching, so I haven't had as much time lately, but I'm always open to it and, uh, um, and hearing the idea and who the person is and seeing if I might be the right fit for them. Okay. All right, that sounds great. I know our audience will appreciate that. So in a scene, a scene that you're supposed to introduce uh, something, uh, then complicate, uh, complicate it, and then resolve it. You said those three things, introduce, complicate, resolve. Is that right? 
Right. Uh, in every scene, it's uh, it's it's really uh, essential, and and even in action scenes, where you may have a, a car chase or a plane chase or a gunfight or uh, a knife fight or you know snakes or gremlins or goblins in it, um, mm-hmm. I think it's important to think about how you're going to structure that action scene and how the chase is going to build. If it's just a car going down a dirt road. Faster and faster and faster and faster and faster and faster, and nobody's going to care. But as soon as there's cows that step into the path, they have to swerve around, and a fence to break through, and children playing in a field to swerve around, and a river to traverse, then suddenly um, the scene becomes alive with complication and builds ultimately towards a crescendo. And I think in the best action scenes, the hero will have to make difficult choices that will not only uh, reveal a little bit more about them, but will force them to grow. Absolutely, and that's what it's all about. Right. Well, okay, let's go to Chapter 7, Snappy Dialogue. I love that. Um, I'm a Mammoth fan, and he always has (laughs) snappy dialogue, and I always find when I see one of his movies, I walk out repeating myself. Did that ever happen to you? (laughs) Uh. Not really. Um, <laughs> I I, um, <laughs> I think the best dialogue in the best movies comes from character. And I think character. what often happens is that writers, or especially action writers, get all caught up in trying to drop that great one-liner, that great wise-ass, wise-cracking line that will lay the audience out. And I think when you try to force those lines – then it breaks down um, sort of the wall of reality in the movie. And the audience sees through that. They tend to feel a little cheesy. It undermines the tone of the movie and it pulls us out. I think in the best movies, the best lines from those best action heroes come from the situation that the character uh, finds himself in. Like Make My Day. Make My Day is a great example because when that when Clint Eastwood said that line, it felt authentic. It felt true to character. It was yes. very clear and succinct in that space, and it worked so great. Same with Schwarzenegger saying, I'll be back as the Terminator. It's <laughs> oh, like gosh, that, yes. those little moments carry so much power um, because they're authentic and real, not because some um, wisecracking wordsmith – you know, in West L.A., was sitting in a coffee shop, shop trying to think of the funniest, coolest, wittiest line he could. Yes, there was an old TV show, uh, Kelly Savalas, and he would say, who loves you, baby? And that was a great line. Kojak, I know of this. That was my, uh, my stepmother's favorite show um, when she was younger. And uh, so I heard a lot about Kojak growing up. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's terrific, or he was. But those those shows just, um, they were really good character building for him. Uh, and we just loved him as a human being. So whatever he said or did was okay. I mean, he was part of our families. You know. That's right. Okay. I, you know, that's a great point. I think so often um, the great characters that really stick with us feel like it's someone in our family, feel like it's someone... Um, that we're friends with, feel like it's someone that was our teacher or our mentor. I know that, you know, when I was a wee tight growing up, but I was watching Six Million Dollar Man, 
Steve Austin was like my best friend and my hero. And I felt like I knew him. Um, and, uh, I wish that I did. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. Now you feel like you know them. Well, chapter eight is sneaky transitions, transitions, tra- sneaky transitions, a brilliant chapter. So how can we sneak into a transition? Well, I think um, in great movies, um, they just flow from one scene to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next. And you're not being called um, uh, to really make note of the significant transition. And I think poor direction or poor editing can undermine great stories just based on um, weak decisions on set and shooting or um, poor decisions in the editing room. But I think when they're smooth as silk and they don't, um, and we don't raise an eyebrow to them and we just find ourselves in that next place, that's when they're the most powerful. So a couple things for writers to keep in mind when they're looking for those transitions is to do them visually, for one. Look for ways to uh, go off um, on a spinning wheel of a car pulling away and dissolve to the golden orb of the sun in the sky, you know, beating down hours later. Look for visual cues like that. Um, Russell McKay, he did this brilliantly in, uh, in Highlander. It's something I always really enjoyed about that movie. Um, and I think great screenwriters put it in the script as well. It's not just left for the director to decide once he reads the script. The director might bring that visual transition um, to the set, which is great, but we want great directors to read our screenplays and think that, hey, I know what I could do with this. I like the way it moves. And in all good books, you turn the page one after another after another without stopping you know, at the end of the page or getting stuck at the end of a chapter. And you want screenplays to read that way as well, where it's just a nice smooth read and you can't wait to turn the page to see what happens next. And the obstacles for the reader moving forward are few and far between. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's exactly right. So now we get to uh, the chapter about the plight of the rewrite. Uh, You know, Mm -hmm. when I wrote my second edition of my book, I think I had to read it 10 times before I let go of it. And and that is the hardest part. When you think it's done, but it's not done, <laughs> you have to keep going back. And every time you do, you can make it better. Right. I think, um, you know, that's a really good point. It's one of the things I encourage, uh, you know, writers and students to bear in mind is that rewriting is part of writing. It's not that extra part that you got to do if you don't do the first part right. If you go in knowing that that's a big part of the process, one, yes. you'll budget time accordingly so that you have time allocated to give your script out to other people, solicit feedback, and incorporate the feedback that you feel appropriate. Um, and, and that really is um, you know, uh, uh, essential to getting a script to where it needs to be because we as writers are constantly facing the blank page and having to answer a thousand questions a day and trying to see the forest from the trees. It's inevitable that we might miss one or two, and that's okay. 
that's part of the process as well. And you just surround yourself um, in smart, kind people that can give you uh, feedback to help you fill in some of the blanks you might have missed on your first pass. Yes, rely on people. Um, I worked with one man who started a script. It was a thriller, and um, and he had 50 rewrites, but it became an award-winning film, so it was really worth it. Uh, 50 rewrites? I don't know how worth it that would be. <laughs> it's nice that he won some awards, but that sounds like a rough road. But I, I, I don't think – I think, uh, you know, the average you know, audience-going member would be surprised to know how many rewrites not only each screenwriter does on a feature film that comes out, but how many screenwriters there may be on feature films. It takes time to get them right. Sometimes they can be watered down and broken in the rewrite process. You just hope that the powers that be, whether it be the studio directors or producers that are calling the shots, um, are confident and clear enough to make the best choices for the good of the movie without uh, ego and politics and finances getting in the way. Oh, all those three are always there. I mean, the joke around Hollywood is <laughs> the, the producer who picks, who says, this is the best script I ever read. Now, who are we going to get to rewrite it? Right. right. If it's really right. that good, it doesn't need a rewrite, but they don't think like that. So, yes, no, it, they don't uh, you write it, you turn it in, and then they, they put other people on it to spoof, spiff it up or make it better, supposedly. Is that what happens? I think that's part of it, you know, but also it's like they bring in different people. If they bring in a famous actress, she might want someone to come in and um, and write her dialogue. If they bring in a famous actor, he might want someone to come in and write his dialogue. If they bring in a great director, he may have someone he wants to come in and, uh, and write um, the action. So the more people that are attached to this collaborative process, the more potential there is for more writers to, um, to, you know, take to the page. Exactly. Well, this has been such an enlightening conversation, Michael. Thank you so much. And I appreciate all you've got in the book because we, what we've given you today is one one-fifth of the excitement and the knowledge and information in his book. So, and it's available starting tomorrow, June 1st. Now, tell us again, please, how people can reach you. Sure. The best way is through uh, screenwriterschool.com. It's sort of my home for teachings. Um, also, they can follow me on Facebook at Screenwriter School, and I put up daily tips um, and tricks of the trade on there. And uh, if they want to uh, reach out to me uh, personally, uh, they can write me at michael at screenwriterschool.com. Daily tips. Oh, my gosh. I, definitely I'll be signing up. I love that. You would think, because even though I'm, uh, I would never attempt writing a screenplay, I just love to know what's a good screenplay and telling a good one from a poor one, and your tips would be educational in that area, wouldn't they? Well, I think um, understanding story is essential to any kind of um, production. So it's going to make uh, directors' jobs easier, producers' jobs easier, financer jobs uh, easier. Everybody's mm -hmm. job will be easier and really more enjoyable if they understand 
what makes a good story and if they understand um, the kind of heroes that audiences will flock to see. Exactly. Okay, thank you, Michael. It's been a wonderful time with you. I really appreciate all the information. Looking forward to your book tomorrow. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Okay. Thanks, Claire. Oh, yes. It was a wonderful interview, Michael. Thank you so much, and uh, great success for your new book. Yes. Thank you. All right. Bye. Be well, everyone. Now, in its second edition, Carol Dean's popular book, The Art of Film Funding, has 12 new chapters to cover all areas of film financing and how to avoid expensive pitfalls. Learn how to start with an idea and end with a trailer. How to make an ask for money. Create your story structure and your trailer. Legal advice, fair use, successful crowdfunding, how to ask for music rights, and what insurance you can't shoot without. Available on Amazon under Carol Dean and at FromTheHeartProductions.com. I want to remind our listeners that David Raiklin is a brilliant and talented award-winning musician who scores films and can compose music for a trio or for a full orchestra. David is a very good friend to the independent filmmaker and comes highly recommended by From the Heart Productions. If you need music to help tell your story, please contact him at davidraiklin.com. That's David, R-A-I-K-L-E-N.com. And Carol and I want to thank you for tuning in to The Art of Film Funding. Please visit our website at fromtheheartproductions.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. Good luck with your films, everyone.